So I ask you this question. Do you ever doubt your salvation? Have you ever questioned your salvation? Um, I think we all have at some point in time, but that's really something that uh, the Bible is pretty clear about. And it's interesting to know that, that really in the, the centuries that the church has been around, that's been debated a lot, whether you can lose your salvation, which is really sad because it's really fairly clear in the scriptures about that. And that's kind of, I think, what we will talk about today, uh, how secure is that salvation. Um, and, you know, Paul wrote this whole chapter of Romans, and we'll just kind of briefly review it as well, basically to um, tell his readers about the security of God, about their salvation, about what God is doing. Um, you know, he starts in verse 1, there's, there's therefore now no condemnation. So he takes the condemnation that, that, uh, uh, that we have as natural human beings in Adam's flesh, um, and we don't have it anymore. He takes it away. And then in about verse 9, he, he speaks of implanting the spirit in us. That spirit then now enables us to battle that remaining flesh that we have inside us, enables us to do that. And then he speaks in a little bit later in verse 15 about our adoption as sons. So now we're part of his family. We're not only sons, but then we will be co-heirs with Christ. I mean, just think about that. That's pretty, pretty significant. Um, and then when we don't know what to pray for, he, he tells us in verse 26, the Spirit intercedes for us. And then in verse 34, he speaks of Christ interceding for us. And they both intercede for us according to the will of God. So there you have, you got the three heads of the Trinity all either interceding for you or, or being the, the, the uh, focal point of that interceding. And so then, you know, in verse 31, he says, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, our security, Paul is telling that. But now um, we start this verse right here, and, and I'll just kind of review what I said a couple months ago. Uh, verse 28 is really a verse of comfort again, probably the most comforting one, where uh, he speaks that all things, uh, all things work together for good. And again, we talked about all things meaning all things. The bad things, the good things, the financial woes, the afflictions, the illnesses, the sins that are committed against you. He can even use your own sins to work for your ultimate good, which is your salvation. Um, but there's a qualification on that. It's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Again, we're speaking love God. You know, in the Bible, there's only two people, those that love God and those that hate God. And you may say, well, you know, I don't know if I hate God, but I'm not really sure I love him. Well, there's no middle ground. Okay, if you don't love him, you hate him, according to the Bible. You're on the other side of the fence. So for those that love God and are called, we, speak, we spoke of call being the effectual call, that call where the spirit implants, um, is implanted in you and he changes your heart. So, and then it's according, you're called according to his purpose. Remember, we're not called according to any of our purposes, but according to his purpose. And so we will kind of go today, what is that purpose? What is that purpose? Well, he goes on uh, then in verse 29 to tell us about that. But before we get there, just want to kind of preface this by saying, um, you know, we're going to get into some terms that make the natural man bristle up. Uh, they will make many... Christians, so-called bristle up, uh, um, 
the terms such as predestination, foreknowledge, election chosen, you know, those things that, that the natural man doesn't want to hear because he wants to be the master of his own destiny. So, I mean, it can't be something outside of me that's doing this to me, can there? And so what I've learned really under Jason in the last couple of years is when you come to these passages that are um, difficult, controversial, according to some people, um, or they go against what you've always been taught, or uh, they go against what you think God should be like, um, we don't put our prejudices on those verses. We let the scripture teach us what God is teaching us. So we cannot, so, and, and these verses are really are some of those right now that, that kind of apply to that. So um, let me say this, God knows the end from the beginning. Would you agree with me on that? Okay. Um, you know, even Psalm 139, I think I read it as a as the call last week, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that you had formed for me, when as yet there was none. Okay, so even before you're born, he knows what's going to happen. And we all agree with that. The Bible teaches that. But do we know the end from the beginning? No. I mean, we're, we're humans. We, we have that limitation. So I think as we start to do this, we have to think... Uh, uh, kind of like in the, the Back to the Future movies. I hope most of y'all have seen that and understand that. And, you know, Dr. Emmett Brown, the scientist inventor who reminds me a lot of Chris Yaw. I don't know if he does. I mean, he's kind of the same way. He's got the, the hair. He's always kind of forgetful. But, but he, he tells Marty, you, Marty, you've got to learn to think four-dimensionally. And that's kind of that fourth dimension is time. And so now, you know, that's kind of what all this is talking about. You know, before the foundation of time and eternity, you know, we're kind of in the here and now. So we need to, to kind of um, uh, get, gear our minds up for that. And, and that being said, we're never going to understand all the intricacies of predestination and foreknowledge and chosen and stuff. You know, but, but God understands that. And, and, and so, you know, the secret things belong to God. You know, if we don't understand it, it, that's our limitations as human beings. But he states it out fairly clear in the verses to follow. So in verses 29 through 30, I think you can see four Ps, actually 28 through 30. First of all, there's a promise, and that was verse 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God. But then we will we'll talk about predestination, we'll talk about his purpose, and we'll talk about the progression of that, how it goes. So before we, um, before we read the verse again, I'm going to read a couple of verses that we'll kind of, uh, we kind of need as a background to, to come in there. Um, and we'll start in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. You can follow along if you want or just write them down. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 4 it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. 2 Thessalonians 2 13, 
Paul says this to the elect group at, uh, at the church at Thessalonica, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. Second Timothy, Paul writes this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And one more, John 1, verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I ask you this, who is the active agent in all these verses that we just wrote? God, that's the answer. It's always the answer to the question, right? God is the active. He is the one doing everything, okay? And so if we're to be saved, um, it has to be initiated in something outside ourselves. Because, as we know, I'll read a couple more verses. This is our state on this earth. Ephesians 2.1, we talk about this. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And then in verse 3, uh, by nature, we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is our state. 1 Corinthians 4, the natural person, that would mean the unsafe person, does not accept the things of God, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So in our natural state, everything that we're talking about today is folly. Um, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So not only does he, the natural person think they're crazy, but he's unable to understand. He does not have the capacity to do that. Um, one more, Romans 3, as we all know that. Paul says, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Just like that, because we're not able to, as he said in Corinthians. And no one seeks after God. So if that's our state in our pre-redeemed form, then obviously... Something needs to be initiated outside of us in order to be saved. And so all these passages really point to the fact that, that our eternal security is not something we decided, but it's something that God decided before the foundation of the world outside of us. So let's go to the passage now. Uh, verse 29, okay. For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So whom he foreknew, he also predestined. All right, let's, let's take a minute to, to talk about that word foreknow or foreknowledge. Okay, it, it really has a, a lot of connotations, especially the way it's used biblically. Um, foreknowledge, a lot of people will say it means foresight. Okay, and certainly it does. Okay, God certainly has foresight. He can, he can see what's going to happen in the future. We mentioned that as well. Um, so that is a true statement. But those who uh, rail against um, the true doctrine of predestination will, 
will use that particular definition to state that God's foresight, he was able to look down the corridor of time, we've heard Jason say this before, to history, and see who of their own free will will believe, and then he predestines them. Okay? That's, that's kind of the Armenian view of foreknowledge and predestination. Okay? Um, and you can see why that, that is. Again, it, it kind of keeps you the master of your own destiny, right? But there's some severe flaws with that because of what we just read about our natural state. So if he looks down that quarter of time, if he foresees all who would believe of their supposed free will, um, how many will believe? None. We don't have the capacity. Number one, we're dead. No, we're, you know, we don't, a natural man does not understand the things, nor are we seeking him. So that is, that is one reason, and, and, it, and they say that as well because some, somehow by saying that, it kind of gets God off the hook. In other words, if God predestines some for heaven and predestines some for hell, you know, that God looks kind of random. You know, they, they say, well, so is it just like duck, duck, goose? Does he just kind of choose who he wants? And it makes, makes their God look uh, random, um, uncaring, unfeeling. So they think by, by doing this, that somehow gets God off the hook that he would create someone and send them to hell. But if you think about it, it really doesn't. Because if God has the foresight to know who's going to believe and who's not going to believe, and he created those who are not going to believe anyway to go to hell, I mean, that, that changes not. It's, he's still God. You would have to go back and say, well, I don't think God had a hand in creation. And, and I guess they're unwilling to say that as well. And you can also look at that, where does, where does the so-called faith of these people that will believe on their own free will come from? I mean, can a natural man conjure up this kind of faith to save him? No, we know that that faith is also a gift of God as well, too. So foresight is a true thing. God does have foresight, but it's not the basis of his predestination. Uh, there's more to that word foresight or foreknowledge to foreknow. And some people will say it just means when, when it's referring to God that it means foreordained. Okay, foreordained. Um, and it means that as well, too. That's also a true definition as well. So let me just kind of give you a couple of verses that, that speak to that. In First Peter, right before what J.J. read for our, our calling, uh, Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to their elect exile, according to the foreknowledge of God our Father. So they are elect exiles according to, which means because of, the foreknowledge of God. So, so, so God's foreknowledge does have an ordaining uh, quality to it, obviously. Uh, and then later on in First Peter uh, Chapter 1, verse 20, uh, Peter says this, He, meaning Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. So, so who was present before the foundation of the world? God. Okay, so he didn't just foresee Christ coming. 
He planned for Christ to come. He foreknew. He, fore, he foreordained it. That would be good. And then in Acts 2.23, Peter again says this uh, when he's speaking to the, uh, on that great day of Pentecost, when he's speaking to the Jews. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there he's got a definite plan, a predetermined decision, a definite plan and foreknowledge. So we know that, that foreknowledge, when, related, when spoken of with respect to God, uh, certainly has a foreordaining um, element to it as well. But it's more than that. Um, the word know, scripturally, to know, uh, really means more than that. Um, it's more than just to know information. Um, Amos 3.2, just an example of this. God says this, or the prophet says this, uh, the words of God, though. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So you only have I known. So you have to think, he, does, he knows everybody. He has information about everybody. But he knew Israel in a more intimate, redeeming type way. Um, a one-of-a-kind uh, uh, relationship. Um, and then in the, in the Old Testament, it said Cain knew his wife and she bore a son. Okay, well, he didn't just know who she was, but knew in a more intimate relationship as well. And it's used that way all through the uh, New Testament as well, just a, a couple of things. So every time you see the word known, um, it's not referring to just knowing the information or like uh, the foresight of just knowing what's going to happen in the future. But in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, um, Paul says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, obviously, God, again, knows everybody, has the information of who they are. But if you love God, you are known in a more intimate relationship, uh, born out of love. Um, and in Matthew 7, when the they would come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says then, um, and I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So he, he knew them. He had information. He knew who they were, but he, they never knew him in that intimate way that the Bible refers to using that word known as well. Um, in Galatians 4, 9, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, both of those. You know, now, we may have known who God was for a long period of time, but at a certain point in time, then we come to know God, okay, or rather be known by him as well. He already knew who you were, okay, but it's becoming that intimate relationship uh, that is spoken of so well. Um, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Again, he, he knows everybody, but he knows them in a different way. And then 2 Timothy 2.19, um, the Lord knows those that are his. Okay, so we understand that this know, when this, this word know is used, it's used um, in, in a different, it, it's used in many respects, but really in respect to our relationship with God. And in God, it uh, could probably be defined... Um, as something like this, um, a foreordained, predetermined relationship, love relationship with a person 
born out of the eternal purposes of God. Maybe I'll say that again. Foreordained, predetermined love relationship with a person born out of the eternal purposes of God. So what are these purposes? Well, let's go on. Let's go on. What does it say in verse 29? The purpose of God. There's actually two purposes he says in there as well. Um, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So there's actually two purposes in there. Uh, one's kind of a primary purpose. One's kind of a secondary purpose. But first one he says here is to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, now, what does that mean? Now, we will be conformed to the image of his son when... At the end of the ages, when we're redeemed, our new bodies. Um, so we will be conformed to his image, not only physically, uh, but also spiritually. Uh, but physically, he, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, a lot of conjecture on that, but a few verses that speak to what the image of Christ and what we will be in our redeemed bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, he says, Just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, referring to Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. So right now we're in Adam's image. We will bear the image of Christ. Uh, Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In Hebrews 1.3, he is the exact radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Um, that is how we're going to be in, the, in his image as well. And then in 1 John 3, 2, a verse that we all love, it says, Beloved, we're God's children now. Now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. Uh, but we know that when, when he appears, we will be like him, for we will know him. We shall see him as he is. So that image is going to be uh, an image of our redeemed body, uh, an image of Christ physically. But not only physically, but spiritually as well. Um, uh, and spiritually, not, not to the point of um, being like Christ in his deity, okay, but his holiness will be infused into us. We will have no more sin. We have no more temptation. But we will always look to him as the firstborn of the one of preeminence. So he will be the one of preeminence. And that's the primary purpose of our redemption is that he will be the firstborn, he being Christ, the firstborn among many brethren or brothers. Uh, that word firstborn in the, Jewish, um, uh, in the Jewish culture would, you know, when it's, when it's spoken of in the Bible, it almost always refers to the firstborn son, uh, unless it's otherwise designated. But, but, it, but that firstborn son was the, the one that had the privilege. Everything went to him. So it became kind of... Um, uh, used figuratively as as one of preeminence, of one that is privileged, okay? And that's that's obviously in the context here what, what Paul is talking about. He is going to be the one of preeminence. He is going to be the one of privilege. But what's awesome is going to be have many brothers, okay? And so we are, as he, as Paul stated earlier in, in, in Romans, we're, we're going to be adopted as sons uh, by the grace of God, but he's the true son, so he will be the one of preeminence, and we will worship him as well. So he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna foreknow, he's going to predestine, he's going to redeem a, a group of people to be 
to be in the image of Christ, to worship him forever, basically is what he's saying there. All right, so that's the, uh, that's the purpose of God. Now, how does that take place in real time? Okay, so we're going to go now to the progression. How does this, how does this happen? Okay, um, you know, foreknew, predestined, uh, called, uh, justified, glorified. It's kind of five terms there uh, in progression. The first two of them kind of happen before the beginning of time. He foreknew, he predestined. And then at a point in time, he calls. And we have to understand that word calls again, because that's, that's kind of the key. It's not, it's not everyone who hears the general gospel call, but that word called, when used in the epistles, is synonymous with believers, synonymous with chosen, synonymous with elect. It is those that have uh, experienced, um, uh, remember we said that the natural man can't, understand the things of the Lord, so he, he can't come to God. But Jesus in John 6.44 says, um, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And so that this calling is that drawing that Jesus spoke of there. Because the end of that verse 6.44 says, uh, no one can come unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. So that is an effectual calling. He will draw you. He will call you. He will implant your spirit in him. He will change you from, uh, like in First Peter, says he will, um, uh, it says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in Romans 1, Paul says we are called to be saints. Okay, so that is the effectual calling. Um, it is a spirit-mediated event. Okay, it is it's something that takes place outside you, but when it happens to you, it changes your nature. And you repent and believe the gospel. But it, but it happens, it's an effectual call. So, so and how does that happen? It comes totally by grace. Okay, there's nothing you do to make that call happen to you. You respond because God has changed your nature. God has implanted that spirit. But it's totally by grace. You didn't earn it. Uh, you weren't seeking it. Um, you weren't smart enough and you finally got it. A lot of people think that that's kind of what happens. And it's not like you went out and weighed all the different religions and just chose, well, this is the best one, so I'm going to do it. No, this is, this is something that, that is outside of you. It's all by grace that God implants in you. Um, and, and, you, and in order to hear that, the Bible teaches us you have to hear the gospel. You have to, uh, and, and that doesn't mean just by a sermon. You can read it in a book. A friend could tell it to you. Um, you might just be reading it in scripture. But you have to hear the gospel message, the truth of the gospel message. Uh, and then the Spirit will mediate his calling. So, so God, before the beginning of time... <clears throat> he foreknew and he predestined, but since that time, he's been calling, calling, calling in real time. Um, and he doesn't just start the calling, but he will finish that calling as well, too. So, uh, then those whom he calls, he justifies. Okay, justify being a legal term. Um, it basically means 
to be declared righteous before God. Um, so how can I be declared righteous before God? Well, I could live a perfect life, couldn't I, and never sin? Anybody done that yet? Anybody in the process of doing that yet? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, that's one way, but really only one person did that, and that was Jesus Christ. He came here. He lived 33 years. He didn't just come and die on the cross for our sins and justify us. No, he came in 33 years. <clears throat> excuse me. He lived a perfectly righteous life. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, he lived a perfectly righteous life. And then he was crucified. Okay? So when God called you, he took that per perfectly righteous life that Christ lived and imputed that into you. And Christ took every sin of every person that ever is going to believe, he took it upon himself, and God punished him for it. He took our sins... He imputes his righteousness into us. So that righteousness is not our own. It's an, some term in an alien righteousness because it comes from outside you. Um, Paul describes it in Philippians 3, 9 when he, when he has that area where he talks about all the righteous things he did before he knew Jesus. And then he said uh, at the end of that, uh, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing good, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that righteousness um, is from outside of us as well. It is also a gift. So simply put, um, Christ died on the cross and was punished as if he had committed all the sins that every person would ever believe committed. And then he gave us his righteousness because he lived that righteous, perfect life. And again, then God's wrath is, is satisfied. Justice is served. God is a just God. But what do you do? Nothing. Okay, it's all by grace. It's all by grace that God does this for you. So that's what's so awesome about this. And then not only does he, he foreknow, he predestined, he calls, he justified, but he glorifies you. Uh, so he finishes from start to finish. It's all uh, from God. And the verse doesn't say, um, you know, those who he foreknew, some he predestined and called and justified. Or those who he foreknew, he predestined and some he called. I mean, there's no some in there. It's. It's the golden chain. It's all. All he foreknew, all he, pre, he predestined, all he called, all he justified, all he glorified. So there's no dropouts. It's, it's, a, it's a chain. It's an unbroken chain. And what's really awesome to think about, it's written in the past tense as if it's already happened. We've already been glorified. That's a pretty awesome thing to think about. So our glorified state will be conformed to Christ's image. Uh, as adopted sons of God, co-heirs of Christ. Um, did I earn it? Did I seek it? No, it's a gift from God. It's grace alone. So because of that, who do I thank? I mean, you can, you can maybe thank your lucky stars, or you can, you can thank the person who told you about Jesus. Certainly that would be appropriate. But who do you really thank? We thank God because 
He started it. He finished it. He did it all. So our salvation is secure just because of that. Uh, it's all from God, beginning to end. Uh, he starts it. He finishes it. Um, you know, in Psalm 115.3, uh, he's in, God is in heaven. He does all as he pleases. And then, you know, Paul in Philippians said, he who began that good work in you will complete it. You know, he will take it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So it will happen. And it's all of God. So we did nothing. And so some will, in detractors of predestination, detractors will say, um, well, if this is all predetermined, what's the use in evangelizing? That's a good point. I mean, if it's all pre, what's the use in evangelizing? Well, the answer is really simple. He commands us to. He commands us to. You know, in Mark 16, 15, he goes, go, go and preach the gospel in all creation. It's a command. And what do we do as God's children and adopted sons of God? Uh, what do we do? We follow his commandments, don't we? Um, remember in 1 John uh, 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we obey, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome to us. So if you're truly an adopted son of God, you will seek to keep his commandments. You will seek to keep his commandments. And they will not be burdensome to you. Not, they won't be a heavy burden. So, so we, we share the gospel with everyone because we don't know who his elect are. You know, he, is, he does because he chose them, but we have no idea. So we are commanded to share the gospel because in the, in the sharing of the gospel, God has um, commanded us to do that, number one, but he also uses his means to save people. His means are hearing the word, the truth of the Christ. So, so remember this, you know, you or I, or anyone, we can't save anybody. I think we just said that earlier when we were talking. Um, the power to save comes from the truth in the gospel, right? Uh, so it's no eloquent words or, or programs or really not even any begging or pleading. Uh, you know, it's the truth of the gospel and God that saves people. But we should always speak that, that truth in love, should we not? We don't want to sound haughty or anything like that. Uh, we always speak it in love. And then, then God saves. God saves. So just in summary, how secure is our salvation? Well, if it relied on me and my free will, it would be very insecure. I'd be Dundee, as a matter of fact. But it doesn't rely on me. From start to finish, it's from God. And so uh, because of it, we are secure, and because of that, we glorify him and thank him every day. All right, let's pray.